This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Get Booked is brought to you by the Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, the smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among the entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books, get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an indie press, and more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quote, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recs that fulfill it. So go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal for your copy. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 165, and we are recording on January 22nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. How's it going? (laughs) Oh, it's going. It's real cold here. How about there? Yeah, same. Same as these. Extremely same. I don't like it. It's not my favorite. And that is my story. (laughs) I see you're reading something sad. Well, well maybe it's not I was sad. just going to say, yeah. So I'm reading <laughs> Upstream by Mary Oliver, which is not the first time I've read it, although actually is the first time I'm going to have read it all the way through. Um, but it's actually, mm. I mean, obviously she died recently, and that was a sad, sad day for many of us here at Book Riot. And um, there's an essay in this collection called Upstream that, like, it literally changed my life. Like it really did. Wow. Yeah. It, it was. And so of course the first thing I thought of when I heard the news was like, Oh gosh, I need to bust out my copy and reread that. Um, and so, and then I realized I hadn't read all the way through that collection. And so that is what I'm working on. It's bittersweet. I mean, I like the night that she died. This is a true story. The night that she died, I came home from whatever I was doing and I sat on the couch and I read that essay out loud to my cats and just like cried a little bit. Like it was, it was a moment. Um, But it felt good also to just be like, this is her legacy. Like she changed people's Mm -hmm. lives and that's beautiful. Um, So yeah, bitter, bittersweet. Uh, I see you're also reading something that is both happy and sad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm reading Becoming <laughs> by Michelle Obama, um, which I actually got. I pre-ordered mm. it on audio, on audio, you know, like months before it ever came out. And then I got it the day it came out and I started it and then I put it down and I don't remember why. Like I stopped listening to it because I needed to listen to something else. I think for work. I don't remember. Anyway, so I finally got to restart it. Um, I'm about five hours in, I think. Um, oh, Barack has just proposed to her at a restaurant after like teasing her about never wanting to marry her which is like my dude (laughs) right murder i would murder you but whatever i'm not married to a president so that's fine um their relationship is adorable i've never heard like any of the stories about how they met or i mean i knew they met at college but uh that was actually wrong they didn't meet at college they met when he was like interning at her um at her law firm after she'd already graduated so what i had heard about them was incorrect anyway uh she's a great narrator um, and it is bittersweet. It is bittersweet because remember when we had classiness? I do. In the White I House? Do Those were nice times. Yeah. Even they were, yeah. Anyway, 
Moving on. So that's what we're reading right now. Uh, how the show works. As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can email us or fill out the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site, um, your reading recommendation requests. If you're going to email us, you can send those to getbooktobookwrite.com. And these can be for anything. They can be for you. Um, they can be, you know, you need a recommendation for your book club, you need a gift for someone, you're traveling somewhere and want to read about that area, any of those are fine. If your question is time sensitive, please note that in the subject line of the email. If you use the form um, in, in the show notes, then put it in like big letters at the very beginning of the request so we can get to it on time. We also might email you back instead of answering your question on the show. If we're not going to get to it in time or if we've already answered it, um, then we'll email you. Let's see, we do have one bit of feedback, which is... <laughs> My bad. Last week, we answered a question from someone who was looking for book recs from Puerto Rico. And in my recommendation, I talked about people coming from other countries. Puerto Rico is not another country. It's it's part of the U.S. And I totally misspoke. And that is totally my bad. So that's not even really like, that's not really feedback so much as me just correcting myself. So there you go. Thank you for the commenter who pointed that out. Um, all right, so I'm going to read the first question, and then Jen's going to do our first sponsor. Um, our first question is from Emily, who says, I'm part of a book club, and we need a new book. All the members of our book club are recent college grads and have just entered adulthood. Most of us have moved to a new city or, and are in the process of finding our place, launching careers, figuring out what we want to do with our lives. Collectively, we feel a sense of being lost. There are so many options in this world and decisions we need to make, and those choices can be over overwhelming. We would love to read a book that resonates with struggles, excitement, and growing pains of the season we're experiencing. We'd also like to read something that can serve as a source of hope for us, that we will figure out how to approach the season and who we want to be in this world. Also, we prefer novels. All right, Jen. All right. Well, our first sponsor is actually another podcast that we would like to tell you about. It is a book-related podcast we think you will really be interested in, and it is called But That's Another Story. Um, and the host, Will Schwalbe, I've actually recommended his book before on this podcast, The End of Your Life Book Club, which was written when his mother was uh, undergoing chemotherapy. And while he was with her in you know doctor's offices and waiting rooms, um, they had sort of a mother daughter book club. And um, after she passed away, he wrote a memoir about it and about how books, you know, shaped the time that they had together. And since then, he's made a career out of examining how the books we read change us. So on this podcast, but that's another story, he talks to guests like Jodie Foster, fancy, mm -hmm. uh, Min Jin Lee, Kevin Kwan, about the books that have made a difference in their lives. And it's, you know, very moving and personal stories. And you might walk away with some new additions to your TBR pile. So you can check out But That's Another Story wherever you listen to podcasts. Alrighty, so... We're looking for a novel for young adults to help them figure out, you know, their place. Well, new adults. New adults. New adults. I guess those two things confuse me. Like the difference between those two things, I'm not sure I've entirely nailed down. Whatever. New young professionals who are figuring out their lives. Um, I took this question to the contributors and got a recommendation. I'm pretty sure it was from Rebecca um, for Startup by Dory um, Schaffrier, who works for BuzzFeed. Well, worked for BuzzFeed. I don't know if she's still there. Um, and wrote this novel that, as you can imagine, is about a startup. And it's a um, multi-narrative kind of book. So you're following several different characters. One of them, his name is Mac, um, and he has an app, a mindfulness app called Takeoff that he is trying to, you know, it's going to be like the hot new thing for investors. Um, and 
he gets embroiled in a kind of scandal with one of his social media managers. Um, and alongside that storyline is one of Katya, who is a young journalist at a gossipy tech blog. I wonder what gossipy tech blog it might be based on. Um, <laughs> and she gets this scoop. Like, she gets this scoop accidentally that Mac has this maybe inappropriate relationship or thing happening with this young social media manager. And so his app gets kind of goes viral because Katya finds out what's happening. Um, and then there's another character named Sabrina, who's a little bit older. She's a mom. She's got two kids. She She's married to Katya's boss and she's trying to get back into the workforce um, after, uh, you know, she's been gone for a bit doing the mom and the wife thing. And she, when she's coming back, she's realizing that like, the workforce now is a lot younger than she is and is much more like social media literate. Uh, and so she's dealing with adjusting to all of that. And I picked this book because it hits on a lot of different aspects of being a young professional, um, like dealing with skeevy bosses and dealing with coworkers who have different skill sets than you do or are in different places in life than you are. And also being that like young, ambitious person who's trying to figure out what kind of person they want to be um, in the world and in their industry specifically. It is a novel and it is very juicy and gossipy and fun. So I think it would make a good, you know, good book club um, fodder. I don't know how hopeful it is necessarily, um, except to say that like what you're feeling, everyone has felt and will continue to feel for all of history forever and ever. Amen. You know, like it's comforting in that way. Um, to, and that's how the, the characters in this book are really presented. Like one of them is in the same place that your book club is in and the other ones have grown past that or are older, but you're, you still have to like deal with those people in the world. So it's helpful no matter really what I think um, stage of life you're at in reference to starting your career and getting going. So that's Startup by Dory Shafrir. Yeah, you are definitely not alone in this. Uh, it's mm -hmm. real. It's really real. Um, I just want to quickly give a shout out to Forever Recommendation, Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed, which I would love <laughs> to give to every college graduate in the world. Like, I feel like that book is a handbook for dealing and with and sorting out emotions about all kinds of life things. So, um, But for your actual book club pick, I am recommending Chemistry by Waiki Wang, which I just read specifically for this question on spec. And man, this book, I just devoured it. It's real good. I think it'll be a great book club book because there is so much to talk about, even though it's such a simple sort of straightforward book. So it's narrated by an unnamed young woman who is doing her graduate work in chemistry at a also unnamed Boston University. Um, and she is in a relationship with a guy who is like, seems kind of perfect, maybe almost too perfect. Like he's loving and he's affectionate and he's committed to their relationship and they have a dog together. And But she is just sort of flailing through her life. Her research is not going well. It doesn't seem like she's going to get the results that she needs to actually finish her PhD. Um, her parents, uh, she is Chinese um, American. Her parents are Chinese and they have put huge amounts of pressure on her. And she has this very complicated relationship with them. Um, they, uh, she had a very volatile childhood. Her parents were emotionally abusive and like, she just, she just is sort of not d dealing with any of that. And she just can't bring herself to actually commit to this relationship that he's in. And he has proposed to her. And she's just like, what if I just didn't answer you? <laughs> like, she's like, what if, I just, what if I just don't know? Like, what if I literally don't know how to live my life? Like, what then? Um, and so things just sort of come to a head. And she's trying to figure out, like, 
what is it that she wants in life? Who does she want to be? How, how, how do, how does one be in the world? Um, like how do you fix all of these different pieces of baggage and the way that you are, if it's not working for you, but also you don't know how else to be. Um, so that's like, that struggle is so real and so relatable. And it sounds like exactly sort of what you guys are working towards, or excuse me, you folks are working towards. And, um, and I think that like, it does end on a sort of up note. Um, but really what this one digs into is that confusion and frustration and sort of flailing that where you're just like, I just don't know how to do this. Um, and I think that's a really useful thing to see. It's also really funny in, in like the narrator's voice is so sharp. There were bits that just made me laugh so hard. Like the observations are just so astute and wry. And then there were bits that sort of like, you know, stomped on my heart a little bit, um, the family stuff in particular. So there's a lot going on here. I really do think it's brilliant. Um, and I think it would work great as a book club pick. So again, that's Kevin mystery by Waiki Wang. And the next question is from Tally, who says, uh, I have been reading If We Had Known by Elise Juska, Vox by Christina Dolcher, The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang, and Red Clocks by Lainey Zumas. I didn't set out to read books surrounding heavy and or politically charged issues, and I generally wouldn't characterize my reading life as trigger warning heavy. However, I really enjoyed reading these books that aren't strictly reality, but are still very real and can help me think through real and pressing issues. Can you recommend more novels like that? Please Please no white male authors. Uh, Amanda, what you got? Um, I picked uh, a backlist for book for this uh, called The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Henriquez, which is still super relevant. I mean, it's not like way backlist. It came out in 2014. So it is not, you know, super old. Um, but especially considering what's happening in the news right now, I, I think that this would be a good pick for what you're looking for. And it is also a multi-narrative book. I didn't do this on purpose. Um, but the, I guess the main storyline that you're following is a family, a mother and a father and their daughter, Mirabel, who is, mm, I think she's 16. She's a teenager who have left Mexico and they've come to America um, because Mirabel had an accident on her father's work site um, and has suffered some brain injuries and is like just not herself. And she's not getting the medical care that she needs in Mexico. So they bring her, they bring her to... Um, I think they live in Delaware so that their father, her father can work in Pennsylvania and she can go to a, a particular school for kids who have traumatic brain injuries. Um, and they meet a lot. They encounter a lot of stumbling blocks. They're in the country legally, but that doesn't last particularly long. And so then they have to deal with that. They don't speak. The family doesn't speak good English and they need to navigate all of, you know, all of the difficulties that come with that. Um, and, you know, then there's their, their daughter who is beautiful, but doesn't, you know, she's injured. She doesn't communicate very well. Um, so she starts getting harassed at school and in the neighborhood. Uh, and then you're also following a boy named Mayor, who is uh, uh, in high school. He's also, I think, 16, who lives in the same apartment complex as Mirabelle and her parents. Um, and he falls in love with this girl. And he's got his own issues going on. And but as it, So those are the two, like, real main storylines that you're following. But it's really about everyone who lives and it's almost like a chorus, of, um, like a Greek chorus of everyone who lives in this building, including the owner, and their backstories, where they've come from, um, what countries they immigrated from to come to the U.S., um, how they got here, why, um, and the things that they've been dealing with since then. Um, I will say that... Well, I don't, I can't, ooh, I don't want to spoil it. So I'm not going to, it is, there's, there's an instance of violence in the book. So if you are a little bit squeamish, that does happen, but I'm not going to, I can't tell you what <laughs> without re like spoiling the ending entirely. So I will just say that, um, that is a thing that happens. Um, but the thing that I like 
I think specifically about this novel about immigration is that this this family, the main family, Mirabel and her parents, do everything right. Like they come here on a work visa. They're, they're seeking medical care. Like, they've got the money. In Mexico, they're a very successful family. Um, they can afford to come here and do it, you know, quote, unquote, the right way. And then everything falls apart for them. And there is no respite. Like, there's no there's no help. There aren't any resources. Even though they are, they are this is the family of box checkers, right? And like, there's nothing they can do that is good enough um, for the bureaucracy that they are entangled in and, and for them to get the help that they need, even though they have everything that they're, you know, quote unquote, supposed to have to get those things. Um, and it's also very much like a page turner. Every character is fascinating, even though they're not all likable, which is the thing that I really like in a novel. So that's The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Enriquez. I picked a short story collection that is sci-fi since you had a bunch of that on there. Well, it's technically sci-fi and fantasy. It's How Long Till Black Future Month by N.K. Jemisin, which, y'all, is so good. Um, if you have not already read Jemison, then I do think this is a great introduction to her style. Um, it has stories that span sort of the entire breadth of her career, Um from like, you know, 2000 and something to like last year. Uh, so that's really cool. And um, also it she, if you have read her, you know that she is definitely thinking about current political issues like race and class and gender as she writes her sci-fi fantasy stories. So that is definitely here. And what I love about this collection is that the range is so huge. Like some of the stories take place in what could be right now. And some of them take place in like a slightly altered version of right now and then some of them are like super in the future or in space or in this you know fictional fantasy world that like you know is completely different from ours so there's a lot of different settings and she's exploring a lot of different kinds of characters a lot of different problems a lot of different kinds of plots um so there's just it's just so meaty there's so much here so so much um and uh one of the story well it has it has two of my favorite of her short stories in there one of them is like an it's like what if someday the laws of superstition and folklore like suddenly worked like if like you know rabbit's feet could give you good luck and walking under a ladder could bring you bad luck like how would you live your life in new york city um it's one of my favorites it's an award nominated if not award-winning story and then another one uh the city born great which is about like a street kid who sort of discovers a magical connection to new york city um is has been rumored to be related to her forthcoming urban fantasy series, which I'm super excited about. So this also is sort of a nice through line in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think you will find a lot here that will help you think through some of the things that we're dealing with politically and, you know, just different viewpoints. Um, so many different perspectives in this book. So again, that is a short story collection, How Long Till Black Future Month by N.K. Jemison. All right. Question three is from Sarah, who says, I'm looking for a book I can listen to on audio with my husband. We've listened to A Walk in the Woods, Ender's Game, The King Killer Chronicles, The Expanse series, etc. He's a history buff who loves fantasy, classic adventure literature, and long history books. I'm an ex-English major. Recently on audiobook, I've enjoyed Spinning Silver, A Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, My Lady Jane, Becoming by Michelle Obama, and The Winter Garden by Kirsten Hanna. Okay, I'm just keep going. Um, I picked The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker, which is a retelling of the Iliad. I always get the Iliad and the audience mixed up. It's a retelling of the Iliad from the perspective of Perseus, who um, was 
a Trojan princess who was given to Achilles as like a as a spoil of war, essentially. Um, she doesn't have a lot of, she doesn't have any narrative voice in the original version of the Iliad. And so this is a rewriting of that from her perspective. And I picked this one because you y'all you mentioned that y'all listen to a lot of fantasy and that that has elements. There's some supernatural elements in in this book uh, with the gods and all that. Um, but also it's historical and it's a nice comedy. It's historical and feminist fantasy, which I think is a good mashup of, of all of your interests. Um, aside from those things, I really just like it. Like, I really like, I really like this book. Like, it's just really good. Um, Briseis is a, such a heartbreaking character. And, you know, all the trigger warnings. This is a book about a woman who is made a sex slave. That's, that is what happens. Um, and all the other female characters, all of them, all the other female characters in the book are in the same position. And I went into it a little bit nervous because there are, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in retellings like this for authors to make it into like a romance, um, or to make Achilles or whoever the male character is in this situation, um, like uber sympathetic. And then the female character is there to just tell his story. Uh, and that's not what's happening here. Briseis never becomes sympathetic to Achilles. They, there is no romance at all happening here. Um, also, if you remember the Iliad, she's given to Agamemnon at one point, and that, that doesn't go well either. Like, there is no positive or sympathy or any kind of, like, making excuses for what happens to the women in this book. And that's kind of the point, um, that these women didn't have any voice at all. And when we have tried to give them one in the past, usually we're just making them mouthpieces for the men, so, which isn't any better than the first time. Um, and And... Pat Barker completely avoids that. Um, Briseis is unflinching. She's very forthright. The entire, you know, most of the book, almost all of the books, she's she's trying to get away until circumstances completely prevent her, uh, which I don't feel like is a spoiler because if you've read the Iliad, which is like, you know, one of the original foundational texts of Western canon, I don't think I can spoil that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you just can't. So, yeah, I don't know, like, what else to say about it, really. it's It's so well written. It's not so graphically violent that I think listening to it on audio would be a bit like a weird experience. But the King Carol Chronicles is also violent. So, um, I mean, it's about war and rape. So, of course, it's, there's violence. But it's not so much or so graphic or so explicit that, you know, you're driving in a car like, ooh. <laughs> now we have to pull over and pretend we didn't hear that. Um, but I think it takes all of these boxes. So that's The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. My recommendation is actually one I've been doing a, I'm going to call it a relationship read. Like, <laughs> this is like, seems like a theme. <laughs> We've had questions like this before and I've done these things before, but like me and my guy have been reading this one um, out loud together and it's on Such a Full Sea by Chang Ray Lee. And the audiobook, which I have not listened to because like I said, we're reading it out loud, but the audiobook is narrated by B.D. Wong, who is an amazing actor, was in Mr. Robot, among other things. And like, that's got to be super cool, I think. Um, but this book is, funnily enough, it's sort of, I think of it as a sort of odyssey journey, except it takes place in a future America where there uh, the world has been like very sort of codified. So um, our main character, Fan lives in Beemore, which is probably like future Baltimore, um, which has been totally uh, sort of... 
I don't know if colonized is the right word, but like it's entirely populated at this point by Asian immigrants who work in factories and, you know, grow houses to provide food for the people who are like upper class and who live in separate, you know, places. And then so there's like the facilities and then there's the charters who are the ones with all the money and the fancy jobs and the beautiful houses. And then there's the open counties, which is where like all bets are off, sort of lawless. Nobody has anything really. Um, not There's not a lot of infrastructure. And Fan is uh, dating a guy who disappears. And she leaves Beemore to try to find him. And so she has to go through the open counties. And then she ends up in the charter villages. And, like, her journey is very Odyssean. Like, it's just, like, full of peril and strange characters and helpers along the way. And she's so determined and amazing. Um, And it's just such a... It's such an interesting book because it is written in Greek chorus style. The whole book is narrated by her home, like by the community of Beemore, as in we, like we thought this about Fan and we thought that. Um, and so they're telling her story to you, but they're also sort of ruminating on like their lives and situations and, you know, what the world is like. And, you know, the, it starts off as like, everything's fine. And then it's like, everything's not fine. <laughs> and the layers. <laughs> <laughs> are slowly peeled back and you're just like oh god um it's really intense but i think it's an amazing book this is not the first time i've read it and i continue to recommend it to people and i think like i think it exists in the sort of venn diagram of your interests it's really beautifully written um it lends itself to being told out loud because it is narrated in this we style and it's such a good story um so again that's on such a full sea by chang ray lee All right. Our next question is from A, who says, I just finished a reread of Kristen Cashore's trilogy, Graceling, Fire, and Bitterblue, and now I'm flailing around at just how great they are and how I've never read anything that feels quite like them. I love how the characters take care of each other. I love the characters. They're likable people, and I also love how practical they are. I like how these books have romance in them rather than are about romance. Same for magic. It's mostly very low-key, but is still unique and interesting. I'm desperate to find other books that feel the same way these do they don't have to be ya extra super special brownie points if the main character is queer Uh, amanda what you got okay i picked the queen's thief series by megan whalen turner which is from a ya publisher and marketed as ya but i'm fairly certain the main character is a grown man (laughs) so i'm not i don't know it's very crossovery so i think that either way you'll like it um, the first book is called The Thief, and I picked this because there's romance in the series, but it's not about romance. There is actually no romance in book one. That doesn't come until later. And the characters are, everyone is likable, but not at first. Everyone is awful at first. Like, your intro to every character is like, wow, I'm going to punch that. I'm going to I'm gonna bring this person to life somehow <laughs> so I can punch them in the face. Like, that's how you're going to feel about every single character. But then as they go on their adventures, you, 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 you just come to love all of them somehow, even though you started out really, truly wanting to punch them in the face. And it's like this just magic writing that Megan Whale and Turner does with these characters. Um, but in book one, the Magus is uh, the king's scholar. He's like, you know, his right-hand man. And he is going on this quest to get this magical ancient treasure um, for his king in order to, you know, whatever, bring power and prestige to his kingdom. And then his king can fight off all his enemies and blah, 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 blah. And in order to do that, he needs a really, really good thief. 
So he goes to the king's prisons and selects the best thief who was caught stealing, I think it was like the king's crown, and his name is Gen. And so he promises to eventually release Gen from prison if he goes with him on this adventure to find this one ancient treasure and steal it. Um, so he agrees, because of course he does, because it's that or stay in jail forever. So the magus, it, magus? The magus, Gen, and then like a couple of guards and some of the magus's I get interns um, for lack of a better word, um, go off on this road trip, basically. It is like a, it's a, it's a road trip heist, magical heist journey. <laughs> um, and bicker, and, you know, like no one is there because they want to be, um, and they fight constantly, but they're on the road together for several weeks and they have to defend each other from, you know, bandits and thieves and share the food and they get to know each other. And it's just this, un, this like opening up of all of these characters and their backstories. And no one is there for the reasons that you think they're there. And no one is there, um, with like the best of intentions, I guess it's, it's just like really, really fascinating. It, Ocean's 11, but with magic and no Brad Pitt, which is a bonus. So that's The Thief is the first book. Uh, the Queen's Thief is the name of the series. There are, I think, five in, in the series. And then the last book is, is coming out this year. Um, and that's by Megan Whalen Turner. Nice. Um, I just want to say I feel you on the Graceling trilogy. Those books are so good mm-hmm. and so rereadable. And I just love them also. So I feel you. Um, my pick for you is one I've talked about on the show before. But if you have not gotten to it yet, you must. It is Witchmark by C.L. Polk. It is the first in a series. The other ones aren't out yet. Apologies in advance. Um, but oh my goodness. It has romance in, I think, a very similar way, particularly to, well, to all of them, really, in that there is a romance. Um, and it is a gay romance, uh, but it's not the whole point of the story. And there is magic. And the book is very much shaped. The plot is very much tied to the magical system. But like, really what it's about is how these people are trying to navigate their lives in the context of this sort of corrupt magical regime, which is feels exactly to me like what is going on in the Gracing books. Um so it's about uh, it's it's a sort of Edwardian England type world where there has been a war, um, and Miles Singer, who is our main character, is working as a doctor in a veterans' hospital. He too is a veteran, um, and he's noticing that a lot of the returning soldiers have this sort of strange PTSD that's maybe not just a result of the trauma. Maybe there's something extra going on. And he's trying to figure that out. But the problem is, is that it seems to be supernatural and magic is highly regulated in this system. And if anybody catches him doing magic or like thinking about magic, there will be trouble. And it's also because he is sort of in hiding. He is not who he says he is. And there's very good reasons why he is trying to stay under the radar. Um, of course that doesn't work out. Um, and he gets like in the course of his work as a doctor he this patient like dies a, a poisoned patient dies in his arms um and he in the course of trying to figure out what happened to this patient he gets sucked into this much bigger plot um this book gave me all of the feelings i loved 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 
how it went and the characters are just so good and oh you just want to like squeeze you don't want to punch them in the face you just want to you want to wrap them in bubble wrap and squeeze them <laughs> like oh Aww. i just want to keep you safe my fictional babies um that is how i feel about the characters in this book and that is how i feel about the graceland characters so i think this will give you a lot of the same mm-hmm. feels um it is not ya it is uh technically adult and um but again the feels are very similar so that is witch mark which is the first in the kingston cycle by cl polk all right, before we move on, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is Life, Death, and Cellos by Isabel Rogers. Life, Death, and Cellos is the first in a new series of comic novels that are set in an, am- an amateur orchestra, um, which is from Farrago Books. And this is an imprint, I love this, that specializes in quoting, I'm quoting you, fiction to make you smile. Like, that's so nice. That's just so nice. Especially these days. Like, fiction to make you smile. That's so good. So the author is a cellist herself. She knows the ins and outs of life in an orchestra, really, really well. Everything from, like, how the brass players are always the first people to the bar to how the players in the front row always get really, like, splattered by conductor sweat. That's a gross image that I did not have in my head about orchestra playing, but now will never leave me. So the book has a mystery at its heart. It's about a stolen Stradivari cello, and it also has a cliffhanger, but is mostly about the personal journey of Aaron, the main character. She's the cellist. At the start of the book, she's involved in an affair with Joshua, who is a married principal conductor at the orchestra that they're involved in. She has a really unfulfilling job. She's wondering if, like, this is all that life is. But as the events and the mystery of the book unfold, Aaron discovers that a different character, Elgar, has a lot more to offer than Joshua. It's funny, cheeky, irreverent, well-observed. And the next book in the series, Bold as Brass, <laughs> get it, is going to come out this summer. So go check that out. That's Life, Death, and Cellos by Isabel Rogers. Alrighty. Question five is from Nikila, who says... One of my main reading goals this year is to continue reading more diversely, and as part of that, I want to read fewer American authors. Um, so could you please recommend any books by Asian female authors? Not Asian American ones, as I feel like that's still cheating. I've read the more popular authors like Erin Jody Roy, Han Kang, Celeste Ng, Maria Jacob, Jumba Lahiri, Camila Shamsi, etc. I read all kinds of genres, fiction or nonfiction, and would love to hear your recommendations. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked... A book that I found at a library book sale out of nowhere that I had never heard of and ended up really loving, and it's called The Good Women of China by Jin Ron, and it's translated by Esther Tildesley. And this book was published in the early 2000s, I think 2002, um, and it's nonfiction. It's, uh, I guess, kind of a memoir about the author Jin Ron, who is, was, was a um, state radio call-in show host. Um, and the book takes place mostly in the 80s when China was doing their, like, opening up, you know, efforts, um, opening up the, the country to more art and literature from other countries and to capitalism and all that sort of stuff. So the censorship on state radio and on public radio was loosening slightly, ever so slightly. And with that loosening came tons of letters uh, to Jin Ran's show, Colin show, which was about the lives of women, about the lives of women specifically under oppressive Chinese censorship and government. Um, and so she starts reading them on the air, um, which, you know, puts her... trying. She's trying to do that, like, within the existing government censorship that, like, still was in place in the 80s and is, of course, still in place now. Um, so that was really difficult. So it's partially a memoir from her about her efforts to give these women voices without having her show completely shut down, um, but also the letters themselves from the women who wrote into her about their lives under um, oppressive Chinese government. So a lot of it is, you know, really painful to read. Um, a lot of it's very angry uh, and, and sorrowful. Um, Otherwise, I mean, they wouldn't be writing to her if their stories were just like boring and mundane. Um, 
but they're they're also like uplifting like these women the things that these women dealt with and um i don't know overcame and can like just fought against to have the lives that they wanted even though literally every system was set up to keep them from doing that um it's really i don't know some of it's very shocking um so i guess you could call it an oral history that's written because it was on the radio, but is now in a book. I don't know. It's very, it's hard to pin down as a, like a genre of nonfiction, but it's so fascinating. And just the project of giving silenced women a literal voice on the air and then a voice across the world with a translated book. Um, I find that to be you know really important. So that's the good women of China by Jin Rain. That sounds amazing. Uh, okay. My pick for you is the lonesome, excuse me, The Lonesome Bodybuilder by Yukiko Motoya, translated by Ese Yoneda. And this is a short story collection, and it was one of the weirdest books I read last year. It is so <laughs> strange. Um, it comes with a trigger warning for body horror. One of the, uh, several of the stories are just, you're just like, oh, bodies are not supposed, no, bodies don't do that. I please don't, no. Um, but uh, if, if that doesn't bother you, it's well worth your time. Um, it's really... I want to call it like surrealism or fabulism, I guess, um, because they're very sort of mundane situations that then take like a hard left into what is happening. Um, so, for example, <laughs> there's a woman who is married and takes up bodybuilding and like her her workaholic husband totally fails to notice how she has just like completely transformed herself. And it's like about her working at this like vitamin shop and like going to the gym and like, will her husband ever notice? But it's like, not just like, Oh, he doesn't notice. Like it just gets weirder and weirder. Um, my favorite one is the last, uh, edition of a, like of like a Japan's like dear Abby sort of column. There's this woman who wrote <laughs> this very successful long running, you know, advice column for women and this is sort of her like swan song and it's so real and funny and weird um <laughs> it's just amazing it's like biting and sharp and just incredible there's um there's one that takes place in a in a clothing store the woman who works there is like this customer is just like won't come out from behind the fitting room curtain and keeps asking for more and more things and like you start to get the sense that whoever's behind the curtain is not a human um it's just like it just and then there's one this is where the body heart comes in there's one where like a newlywed notices that her spouse's features are moving around on his face oh it's so weird um so it's just strange and fascinating and I don't even know what to tell you except for that it I I would have been thinking about it since I read it. Um I will continue thinking about it and if you like weird fiction and want to see somebody playing with like gender and politics and um you know very specifically there's a lot of relationship stuff in here in this kind of way then it is definitely worth a read. So again that's The Lonesome Bodybuilder uh which is a collection of short stories by Yukiko Motoya translated by Asa Yoneda. And is it me? It is. Uh, the next question is from someone who says she oh yeah, uh, that's okay. Um, looking for books to give my sister. She mostly reads fiction, mixing classics and modern picks. Some favorites of hers include Pride and Prejudice, Wuthering Heights, Jane Eyre, His Dark Materials, The Book Thief, The Last Runaways. This year she loved Naomi Novik's Uprooted and Spinning Silver and Eleanor Caton's 
Caton? Caton? Who knows? Uh, the Luminaries. Um, sh- I gave her Hannah Kent's burial rites, and she really liked it, but found it hard because of how sad it is. She would love some less depressing books to throw into the mix. Don't have to be light and fluffy, but at least a happy ending would be great. Uh, you should go ahead. I'm, I've been talking for a while. Okay. Um, I picked Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay uh, because you said she loves classics and specifically Jane Eyre. And this is a gothic retelling of Jane Eyre if Jane Eyre were a serial killer. Like a like a social justice serial killer. Like a Batman. <laughs> if Jane Eyre were Batman? I don't know. I don't... I'm like, yes, exactly. Dexter. That's better. If Jane Eyre were Dexter. Um, so it's certainly not light and fluffy, but it's funny. Like, it's really... It's... Um, yeah, biting, sarcastic, funny. And the ending is not sad. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so it's both a, a retelling and kind of a, uh, a referential sort of book. The main character, Jane Steele, has read Jane Eyre and, like, really, it's her favorite book. Uh, and in her life, she often considers, like, <laughs> WWJD, like, what would Jane Eyre do? But she decides at a lot of different points in her life that, that the thing that Jane Eyre would do um, isn't enough is it does she, like Jane does not go far enough so but some instances of Jane Steele's life really do mirror Jane Eyre's life so she has a really terrible aunt and a really terrible schoolmaster um she gets you know she experiences a lot of oppression and violence and poverty in her life um and then her aunt dies and there's a new you know guy that takes over Highgate House Mr. Thornfield who is hiring a governess so she hides her identity and goes to the house to try and figure out if she can solve um, the mystery of Highgate, which is like, is she Highgate's actual heir? Like, what was the will? What was the situation with the will? But of course, as she interacts with with Mr. Thornfield, some, you know, Jane Eyre kind of stuff starts happening there. Um, But she has to hide the fact that along, you know, different points in her life, she has killed some people. And it's always out of, you know, self-defense, um, to defend herself against sexual assault, to defend other people against sexual assault, mostly women. Like, the violence in this book is very uh, gendered in as much as she's defending women from men, including herself. Um, so, but her, 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 like, logic, the way that she logics herself out of situations or out of feeling bad for the things that she's done, um, while also maintaining this very Jane Eyre, like, sense of upright morality is really fascinating because she... I'm not, I don't want to call her like, you know, a, a murderess with a heart of gold because she doesn't have a heart of gold, but she definitely believes in the righteousness of the things that she's doing. And so that's a really interesting, it makes it a really, really interesting read. So if Jane Eyre, I feel like when I read Jane Eyre that you can feel that that character has a lot of rage. <laughs> like Jane Eyre herself has a lot of rage. Mm. In Jane Steele, what happens if she lets that go is kind of, I think, the question. So it's, yeah, Jane Steele by Lindsay Fay. Nice. Um, I also picked a retelling. I picked Pride by E.B. Zaboy, which if she hasn't read yet, I think she will love. This is a Pride and Prejudice update. Um, and it is, I guess it is YA. Yeah, it's young adult. Um, it's about two teenagers who live in Brooklyn. Um, and, uh, Zuri Benitez is our sort of Elizabeth Bennett stand-in. Um, and she, her family is Afro-Latino. They have lived in their neighborhood just for forever. Um, and they are 
sort of aware that the house across the street, which had been crumbling to pieces, um, has been renovated over the past year and a really rich family is moving into their not actually that rich, but, you know, gentrifying neighborhood. And they've been like, who is it going to be? Who's it going to be? Um, and it turns out to be a wealthy black family and uh, th- with two very attractive sons, um, uh, Ainsley and Darius. And Zuri's older sister, Janae, starts to fall for Ainsley. And Zuri cannot stand Darius. So here here we are. Like, this is the classic setup. It's so great. Um, And what I loved about this update is that, you know, Jane Austen is always talking about class in her novels. Um, and what E.B. Zaboy does is talk about class and race. And so you get this modern update that is considering things like gentrification and, you know, the different like prejudices and, you know, ways that people have to move through the world in terms of both their class and their race and how class divisions shape that as well within communities. Um, and I loved Zuri so much. She's, uh, she writes and does poetry um, and there's a great sequence where she's at like a poetry slam doing her thing that I loved um, and she just is such a vibrant wonderful character. I don't think it's like an actual like she's not like an exact comp for Elizabeth Bennet. It's a it's a sort of a spin on it that I feel like has its own vibrancy and I really love that too. Um, like Ibi Zaboy took Pride and Prejudice and made it her own in a really amazing way. And, and it's, it is happy because it's a romance. Like you know what's going to happen, right? You know. Uh, so it's really great to see these two characters like figure out who they are with each other and in the world um, and to see a character sort of try to figure out how she's going to be like she's in late high school. She's thinking about college. Like what is, what are, what are the next steps of her life? What do they look like? Um, and the family stuff is so good. Oh, she's got this huge, really loving, fun family too. And that was great. So yeah, it's, it's super fun. It's definitely like a must read for all Pride and Prejudice fans. Uh, so again, that's Pride by E.B. Zaboy. All right. Our last question is from Aaron, who says, I'm looking for a fun book to listen to on audio with my husband on a road trip. Again, another one. That was an accident. Uh, the problem is that we have quite different interests. I love literary fiction and popular fiction, Crazy Rich Asians, Outlander, The Goldfinch. He mostly reads nonfiction, Steven Pinker, books on objectivism and comparative religions. Some books we've listened to together and liked are The Namesake, Shroud for a Nightingale, and The Martian by Andy Weir. Um, uh, thanks in advance. Okay, um, I'm going to keep going. I picked Lincoln and the Bardo by George Launders because this is literary fiction and that was also super popular. But you mentioned that your husband was really into comparative religions. And this is such an interesting book if you think about it from a like spiritual perspective. It's, It's super weird. George Saunders is a really famous short story writer and this was his first novel. And it's about Abraham Lincoln mourning his young son, Willie, who died while he was uh, in the White House. Um, And one night, like it takes place in one night in the cemetery. It's told from hundreds of different points of view, uh, mostly ghosts. And in the audiobook version, it's narrated by, I think, 30 or 40 different people, a lot of whom are very famous. Um, And of course, his name is escaping me now. But the first voice that you hear is no, Nick Offerman from Parks and Recreation um, and a lot of other, you know, really recognizable voices. Um, but they're all playing ghosts who were like surrounding Lincoln and talking about the soul of his son um, and what happens in this like weird purgatory. And the title Lincoln and the Bardo, the word Bardo comes from a Tibetan religious tradition about that transitional state between life and death. So it, you're considering, you know, the like very Western ideas of 
Judeo-Christian kind of concepts of what happens in the afterlife and combining it with this Tibetan idea of what happens in the afterlife. And that like when you die, the state of your soul is still very much in question. And then combines that with like Abraham Lincoln for reasons, because George Saunders' brain is a very strange place. Um, it's it's a divisive audiobook. I will say that people I either love it or hate it because it is told from so many different points of view and the publishers brought in so many different narrators um, to narrate it that people either find that really fascinating and cool or like really obnoxious. But I think that that even that in and of itself would be interesting to experience with your partner because, you know, you then you can talk about whether or not you hate it or find it like really fascinating, uh, along with all of the other things that I mentioned about the book. So that's Lincoln in the Bardo by George Saunders. I was thinking about the namesake by Jim Lahiri and some of your interests. And I picked The Fortunes by Peter Ho Davies, which I have recommended on the podcast before, but not for a while. And this is a story about there's four, four, is it four? I think it's four different um, Chinese Americans in different portions of history that the novel follows. So it opens up with a recent Chinese immigrant to California um, who is the valet to a railroad baron. Um, And then, you know, it moves forward in time to Hollywood's first Chinese movie star. And then it moves forward again into like the 80s, 90s um, about a a hate crime victim, the friend of that hate crime victim. Um, And then and in, there's like a sort of current modern day storyline um, with a biracial writer who's going to China to adopt a baby with his wife. Um, and so it's like takes place over the course of like 100 years. Um, and what I loved about this book is that you get such distinct characters in such distinct moments of American history, um, some of which, you know, are familiar to me and some of which were not. And um, and then you but they, the way that Davies has has woven them together is really fascinating. There are these gorgeous little through lines um, that sort of pop up and you're like, oh, they're, they're, here's the connection, you know, that makes it feel almost seamless, which is a real feat considering how disparate these four stories are. Um, and I just thought it was so well done. It was actually recommended to me by Celeste Ng and like totally correct. Like this is just, you know, a really amazing novel. So it's got that multi-generational aspect to it. It's about um, immigrant family experiences. Um, And it just, it gives you such an interesting look at American history in a way that we don't often see it or that doesn't often get talked about. So I just thought it was fantastic. Um, And I think it would work really well for this. The audiobook is about 10 and a half hours. So that seems reasonable. Not super long. Uh, So again, that is The Fortunes by Peter Ho Davies. And that's our show. Hey. Hello. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for other people to find. Thank you to our sponsors for making our shows possible. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter as Jen IRL. Jen with two N's IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.